welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on January 1st, Lord's Day service. look like for a church to have it all together. It probably looks something like the church at Ephesus. In the New Testament, the story of this church comes up again and again. We see it in Acts as Paul ministered there and was persecuted for his work. Ephesus is where we see the first great book burning. But it was appropriately, it was appropriately done. These were horrendous books. Paul loved the saints in this church, and the feeling was mutual, which we see in Acts chapter 20. We, of course, have read Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We know that Timothy was there for some time, and very likely Paul's letters to Timothy were sent while he was a pastor in Ephesus. Church tradition tells us that the apostle John served at Ephesus, and likely his epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, were directed to that church also. But the final word we read to Ephesus is found here in Revelation 2. This church was no slouch. They had all the outward attributes we would admire in a congregation. We would say that Ephesus was, well, they're our people. We're all more familiar with the correction they received, that famous, you've left your first love statement, and we'll consider that in time. But first, we need to consider, we need to look at what Christ himself, who is speaking in these first couple of chapters, what he commends in this passage and strive to pursue that. We see things like they endured persecution. They were discerning and resisted false teaching. They were persistent in good works. That's not a small or a minimal list. For Jesus to say of a church, you've been faithful, you've resisted, you've been strong, you've opposed heresy, who wouldn't want to hear that? The people, they endured and didn't flinch. They didn't fall into the false teaching that had sucked so many of the churches around them in. They obeyed God's commands towards one another. Today, if you take that church in the time in which Jesus gave this letter, and if you put them in our day, they would look like a rock-ribbed, conservative, faithful congregation. I mean, think about it. If you were to move somewhere else, and that somewhere else was largely an isolated area by isolated, I mean, there were not a lot of churches in the area. If you were to go to a place like that, and, and 
you said, where can I find a good church? And someone were to list these attributes. They stand in the midst of trials. They continue in good works towards each other. They don't give in to false teaching. You would say, sign me up. That's where I want to go. And honestly, that is what I pray our church displays. And I believe by God's grace, we have been faithful in that thus far. And may that continue. But that's not enough. In fact, sometimes our strengths, when they contrast well enough with the surrounding culture, our strengths can overshadow our weaknesses. And we even forget that there is a temptation to weakness. And everybody has a temptation to weakness. Every church has a temptation, at least one, some many temptations. To weakness. But the weakness of the church at Ephesus was enough that it could bury them. Now when we hear that phrase, you've left your first, first love, we've got to do some disassembling here. Some deconstruction. Because what do you think of when you hear first love? Okay? It's not faithful church. We think of puppy love. We think of Romantic, young love. That, that's natural. That's the first thing. Now, we know that that's, that's not what's in view here, but that's what comes to our minds, right? But, of course, as I said, that's not the meaning of this. Another way to say that statement is that they have left the love they had at the beginning. But still, what does that tell us? Well, part of the difficulty of Revelation is so many references to all the rest of Scripture. The Revelation's hard to understand because there is more allusions and references back to the rest of the Bible than all the other books. It is densely packed. But there are some things that we can say just from the context here. Now, what's sometimes posited is that maybe... The church had left off its love for Christ. But, you know, it's really hard to make that fit with the commendations that are given. That they were faithful in persecution. That they hate evil. This doesn't come if your love for Christ has abated. Others say that maybe their love for each other dissipated. But, again, some of the contextual clues render that less likely. Thankfully, uh, th th there are others who have pointed, and, and one notable person that I would say, and if you ever get a chance, if you like pulling out commentaries and randomly reading, uh, one really good one is by a man named G.K. Beale. Just going to put that out there. It's not an inspired statement. It's just my own personal. Uh, under, from what I've seen, it's been helpful. But in his commentary on Revelation, he points out a couple of things that can help us understand what's going on. First of all, there is the threat. What we get an idea of what their sin is by the threat, and that is that he would potentially remove their lampstand. We see at the very beginning, he says that he is the one in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Well, there are seven churches that are 
the recipients of these letters in Revelation. From the very beginning, God's people were called to be a light among the nations. Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and have taken hold of your hand and submitted you as the people's covenant as a light to the nations. So Israel, from the old covenant, was called to be a light. They're called to be God's light to the world. But that didn't work out. They weren't faithful in their calling as a light to the nations. But Jesus picks that up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, when he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do a man light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it can give light to all that are in the house. And then, of course, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So due to the warning here that he would remove their lampstand, it appears that their light, as an, that the, the light of the church at Ephesus to the nations was growing dim. But also, uh, another clue is in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus' famous apocalyptic warning of what was going to come within that generation. Verses 12 through 14, Jesus says this in Matthew 24, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So what happens when God's people face persecution? Or when the culture around us becomes a lawless group who they don't care about normal standards of right and wrong. They do whatever they want. What is our temptation as the church when we're trying to be faithful and the world is opposing our attempts at faithfulness? Our love grows cold. It's not the love of those people out there. Well, yes, obviously that's happened, but it's also that our love, the love that we're called to manifest towards others, the, the light of Christ that should shine, well, it starts to turn dim. We're tempted to treat the world for whom Christ died as a bunch of muck and rabble. Oh, you're going to persecute us? That's all right. You're going to burn in hell. Now, maybe we don't say it that way. Have you ever taken comfort in the fact that one day all of their sin and, every, and, and all those people who are out there, they're going to get what's coming to them? Now, I know th this is tenuous because we, we are called to hate what God hates. All right? Hatred is not a bad thing in and of itself. But we can never forget that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are the easy targets. They're the ones that, that, we, that we can most easily pursue. When God's people cover their light for fear of attracting bugs, we're failing in our calling. 
And light draws bugs. In addition to people who are lost and looking to find their way. When you live in a society who dissuades people from following Christ, who persecutes the godly and endorses abominations, the icy wind of indifference quickly snuffs out the flame of Christian witness. Our hope, our confidence must not then reside in our strengths, in our works, or even in our beliefs. Don't forget Paul's life as a Pharisee was marked by zeal for God. Paul did not live the first part of his life as a reprobate. He lived it as a member of the covenant who believed in all of his persecution of Christians, which they were considered at the time not this totally different religion, but a subset of Judaism yet a subset that needed to be squashed. That's what Paul was doing in his previous life. He says this in Philippians 3, but the zeal that he had was pointed in the wrong direction. We can become so focused on discernment, on sharpening our worldviews like knives to be thrown, that we forget our call to be a light. The flame of God's love not only purifies, it also warms. How many times have people been warmed by the light of God coming from you and from your family? People outside the church. Now, I know sometimes it's hard to love people in in the church. I was raised as a pastor's kid been through multiple churches, as I'm sure many of you have. Yes, sometimes it's hard to love people in the church. But I think we can probably all say from experience that it can, it's even harder to love people outside the church. Especially, I mean, I'm not talking about your next door neighbor who she doesn't go to your church, but she, you know, she's 83 years old and she serves you pie whenever you go to her house. And sometimes maybe she, her, her dog does things in your yard you don't like and, you know, say, well, you know, she's not a part of the church, so uh, we all have our crosses to bear. And no, that's not loving the people outside the church that we're talking about here. I'm talking about the people who actively oppose you. How many times have people felt the warmth of Christian love coming from you? And that's what makes the consequences here so dangerous. The judgment, he he does say, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand. But the danger is not that there's going to be some fire hose unleashed and and the flame is burning brilliant and bright and then all of a sudden when the fire hose hits, it's all snuffed out. You don't go, it's not a 180 degree turn. The danger here is that gradually the light becomes more dim 
and more dim. And then finally, when he comes quickly, there's not a whole lot of light there to take out in the first place. The light of the church would not be, like I said, it, it would not be something that just immediately flees. And then you add to that another consequence. When he says he would remove the lampstand, there is the light of the church, but then there's also the angel himself. And there's question, even in the very first statement, what does it mean to the angel at the church of Ephesus? Some people say, well, that's, that's spiritual protection, that, that's their, their guardian angel. And others say, no, that's actually the pastor. And when you, when you read that, you have to ask yourself, why do we have to pin ourselves down one way or another? Because are not his angels ministers of flaming fire sent to guard those who are heirs of salvation? Yes. That's from Hebrews. That's not from me. So that's true. But also, he, the message is to the one who is over the church. Again, to, to the messenger of the church. So when you think about the possibility of him removing the spiritual protection, about the lamp, which represents all, all, also in the Old Testament the presence of God himself, that being removed, that's scary. How could he do that to a church who was so faithful in doing so many good things? If you only, he could do it because the church is more than a voluntary group. We're not just a social organization who gathers for personal improvement and fellowship. There are other organizations dedicated to those same causes, if that's it. But, but that's not what we are. We are the manifestation of Christ on earth. We are the body. If we fail to shine as God's light to the world, we neglect the mission to which He's called us. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, profits me nothing. Again, if you read all those things, to, now, we're not talking about whether charismatic gifts exist today, you know, are still here today or not. Back then, they did. Okay? So if, someone, if a church was full of people who was exercising all of these gifts and they were having people who were being burned for their faith and, and they were giving all that they had, we see this, we would be impressed. Rightly so. But Paul says you can have everything there. But if your love is cold, it's all worthless. So what does Jesus exhort the church towards? He tells them to remember, to repent, and return. So first, 
He says to remember your calling. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you are fallen. Remember what you had at the beginning. Remember what was there at the beginning, the love that you had. Remember your calling to shine before the nations, to love the people that God puts in front of you. And look, I'm not saying that the answer is you have to knock on every door in your neighborhood. Okay? That's not the application here. It's not that you have to paint a big I love Jesus and I hope you do too sign on, on, and put it on your roof so that everybody who drives in your neighborhood will see it. The Lord has been kind enough, especially in Huntsville, Alabama. He's brought the nations to us. So, so, so they're here. So if you simply love the people God puts in front of you, whoever that is right now, in the church or outside the church, if you love those people, you are remembering that to which he's called us. So remember, then repent. He tells the church to acknowledge their fault, to turn from their seclusion, from their, from their inward focus, and embrace their calling. Latch on to this, because this is the sin of Israel to fail in their calling as a light. So repent from that and then return. He says, do the first works. Do the things you were doing in the beginning. Live openly as joyful, holy Christians with the invitation open for others. Don't hide the light. So what does this mean now for Trinity Reformed Church? I'm grateful for the blessings that God has poured out on our church. But I believe our temptation, and I'm not saying that we've stumbled down and that we're about this far away and then the light's going to go out. That's not what I'm saying. But if we have a temptation, it's not that we're about this far away from falling into hedonism. We're not just about to give in to woke ideology. We're not about to embrace the platform of the, the, the World Economic Forum here. That's not our ditch. Our ditch is to look at all what those other people are doing and say... Stupid, wicked pagans. Too bad for them. Can't stand them. They persecute us. They'll get theirs. We could easily become that. And look good doing it. So we must keep our eyes on the calling. If we only love our people, we're missing it. Now I'm not saying that love looks the same for every single person regardless of your flesh and blood relationship. Certainly we should love the people in our family and, and they have a priority for us. We should love the people in our church, yes, but it doesn't stop there is the point. 
as the Lord brings other people to us, we have a choice. We can either say, close enough, no thank you. Or we can welcome them. And look, the church can be messy. When sinners, when young Christians, new believers come into the church, it looks messy sometimes. And we don't like mess. We like everything to look good. Our work demands, as Christians, it demands a clear antithesis from the world, but not hatred towards the people of the world. So continue. Let us continue doing the things we've done in the past that are good, but don't forget the call to love those who oppose you. When you see brutal things going on and you feel the rising urge towards condescension and to turn inward, that's putting a cap on the light. So show the love of Christ to whoever He puts before you. It may be just your family. For many of you, if you're raising young kids, that, that's a fine. But God loves us enough that I'm sure if we are open to whoever He brings across our path, He may just bring someone across that you don't expect. But He doesn't end the exhortation on shape up, kid. That's not how He ends this or the other letters to the other churches. He ends it this way. To him who overcomes, to the one who hears this, He says, I'll give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the promise is given to us that if you will persist in shining the light, the light that He's given you is not a light you have to work up. It's not powered by your human strength. But shine the light that has been manifested to you. Humble yourself before God. Grant and, and submit to Him. Let Him do whatever He wants to do in your life, wherever you are. He will feed you with supernatural food. And He will grant you, He will bring you into the paradise of God. You will join Him in eternal glory. So it ends to us as individuals, as families. Persist in overcoming. Give yourself, submit to Him and grant Him to convict you of wherever you should Remember and repent and return. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and may we receive it now with submissive hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.